Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. Do you have the right view in regard to humanity? Most people think that the majority of the world's population are simply unaware about the biblical God. They may not have the scriptures, they may not be able to read the Bible, and therefore, they're simply unaware. They do not know the truth of God. I would suggest to you that that view is incorrect. When we look at the psalm that we're going to study in this session, we're going to see that it's not ignorance, but rather it is rebelliousness. People, they know that God exists. In fact, we find in the book of Romans in chapter 1 that Paul says that God has put it in the person, every individual, that God exists. They know that God is. The problem is they're not interested in submitting to God. They're not interested in doing his will. Simply stated, the greatest problem that humanity has is that we are rebellious against God. And that is exactly what we're going to see taught in this psalm. So take out your Bible, open it up to the book of Psalms, and Psalm 53. Now, several weeks ago, we studied Psalm 14, and there are indeed some similarities between that psalm and the one that we're going to be looking at in this study. Let's begin Psalm 53, beginning in verse 1. We find that familiar inscription where it says to the choir director, the orchestra leader, the chief musician, however your Bible translates this word. And then it says, upon, and we have the word, mahalat. Now, many scholars believe that this is a phrase that is derived from a word, which means to dance. And we know that there is dancing that is unto the Lord, that is holy, that can be pleasing to him. But like many other things that, that God commands, we find that the enemy can corrupt dancing and make it very ungodly and an offense to him. But this is a psalm that was set to music. Apparently people danced to it, and it says here that it was a certain type of psalm. We've encountered this before, a maskil by David. And that word maskil comes from a Hebrew word, and I hope you remember this, that means to, to act with intelligence, to put into one's behavior the knowledge that, that they have acquired. So it's a degree of acting wisely in order to live in a way that is pleasing to God and is accomplishing the purposes of God. This is what this psalm is about. 
But again, we find the majority of humanity not interested in submitting, not interested in obeying the revelation of God, but rejecting it and rebelling against it. Now let's move on to the next verse where it says, the naval. Now it's literally a naval, which is a foolish person. When we looked at this word naval in, in Psalm 14, I pointed out something that it speaks about one who knows some information, but this one does not act upon it. He rejects it. He is told something, he learns something, but yet he does not apply it to his situation and the consequences are going to be severe. So we read here, a fool, we might say, has said in his heart, that is, speaking about his thought process. To say in one's heart is to purpose something in their mind, a specific thought that's going to lead to a behavior or many times the lack of a proper behavior. And what does he purpose in his mind? What has he said? What is his thought? Well, we keep reading. And Elohim, which means there is no God. And that word Elohim, and we've learned this again many times, it can have an idea of a judge, meaning God is not my judge. I don't have to put myself under his authority. I am free to do what I want, and there's not going to be any consequences to my behavior. This is the intent when it says, and Elohim, there's no God. I don't have to be concerned about any judgment, any consequences coming into my life from heaven by God. And then we see what's the outcome of this. Why is this one so determined to reject the existence of God? Well, because, notice what they want to do. It says here, they have become corrupt. It is, and this is a very important principle in the scripture. When one denies God. Now, he knows inwardly, remember what we've already said from the book of Romans chapter 1. Every human being, their conscience bears witness to them that there is God, yesh Elohim. The conscience does not say en Elohim, there is no God, but yesh Elohim, there is a God, and he is an authority, the authority. He is the judge. We're going to have to give an account to him. But why do they reject that? Why do they rebel against it? Because they want to behave in a corruptible manner. They want to do that which is an abomination. It says here, Havel, and this is a word which means to simply do evil. This one who said there is no God, such people, they become corrupt. They do abominable things, and they're all about evil. Now, this is not the normal word for evil, ra, which means against God's word, against his will, but it means here that which is simply a, a behavior that is wicked, displeasing to God, in conflict with God's standards of holiness and righteousness. And then the verse concludes, en osei tov, there is no one who does good. Now, what we see here, looking at the laws of Hebrew poetry,
we see that there's a relationship here between the one who's corrupt, the one who does abominable things, such one is not doing good. What are they doing? Avil, that which is bad, evil, wicked. They're simply not interested in doing good, doing God's will, submitting to God's program. Now, the next verse is going to speak about God's response. First and foremost, God knows everything. There's nothing that I think, that I whisper softly, that I do in secret that God does not know. These things, as we see in the scripture, they are written down in books, and we are going to be judged by our actions. Now, let me just go off on a theological tangent. We need to understand God's judgment in two, two manifestations. First of all, there is the manifestation, where are you going to spend eternity? There's two possibilities. Ultimately, those who reject the gospel, they are going to one day arrive at that lake that burns with fire and brimstone, where there is darkness, weeping, which is sadness, and gnashing of teeth, which is suffering. And that is going to be their eternal condition. That's one place. The other is ultimately the new Jerusalem. We can just summarize that, the kingdom of God. Those are the two possible locations that every people is going to get to one place or another. Now, we see here God. He is going to decide where we are based upon, and he knows this forever, never did not know this, but those who receive the gospel, they will be ultimately in his kingdom. Those who do not, we've already said, they'll be in that lake that burns with fire and brimstone. But there's also a judgment of works. This is for all people. And it says here, God knows all things because, look at this next verse, God from heaven looks down. And this word for looking down, this verb is where we, we also see the, the word for looking intently, looking carefully, that which is, is gazing like through binoculars to see something very clearly. So God is looking with intent to understand, and he looks at B'nai Adam, which means humanity, every human being. And what does he want to see? Well, at the end of the verse it says, to see if there is someone, and there's that same word, maskil, someone who acts in a prosperous, successful wise, intelligent way. And here again, this does not speak about prosperity in a financial sense in regard to materials, possessions, what you can acquire, but rather it is a prosperity that's related to accomplishing, doing the will of God. So God is looking upon all humanity to see if there's anyone that is utilizing spiritual truth God's revelation, the knowledge of God, 
to live in a way that's pleasing to him. And notice how the verse concludes. Doresh et Elohim, which means to seek God. Is there anyone who's seeking, and this is not the normal word for seek, levekesh, but it's the word lidrosh, which is stronger, more intense, with more passion, with more, more desire. So if, there, if there's anyone who's truly seeking God, and I would underscore that because that's when things begin to change. One of the questions that I ask people to see if they're really a candidate for the gospel. Are you seeking God? Do you want to find him, discover him, learn from him, know him, serve him? And you'd be amazed how many people simply say, no, I am not seeking God. Why aren't they? Because they think there is no God. They may say that, but they're lying inwardly. Why? Here's the third time. The conscience of every human being, Jew and Gentile alike, makes no difference. We all have a conscience, and that conscience witness within us that God exists, that there is a God. Now, you can know God exists. That doesn't mean you know him personally. It's only when you enter in a covenant, what covenant? A new covenant through the blood of Messiah, that you can know, and that means experience God. Be led by him. Be guided by his spirit. So a good question to ask yourself, myself, others, are we really seeking intently God? Verse, verse 4 in the Hebrew, where it says, everyone, next word, sag. This means to withdraw. It means to go contrary to meaning to back up, to retreat, to go away from. And this is what God is saying. Humanity, when we're talking about those who say there is no God, those who aren't seeking God, they have made a conscience decision. I'm withdrawing from him. I'm removing from his way, his presence. I'm not interested in him. This is the intent. And it says everyone, here again, everyone who says there is no God, all of these people, they have withdrawn altogether. And this withdrawing from God, what does it bring about? It says they have become corrupt. Now, it's a different word that we saw at the, the end of, of verse 2 in the Hebrew text, but it has more or less the same meaning. It's a synonym for becoming altogether corrupt then it says again it repeats and osei tov there is no one who does good and gam achad not afilu not even one very significant now this tells us left to ourselves without god's interaction now if you're wise you will want god to interact with you that you will have something that takes place in your life that causes you to say yes to the conscience. Yes, there's a God, and I need to seek him. And more than just seeking him, I need to submit to him. True faith, hear this carefully, true faith, a faith that saves, will, will work itself out 
where one desires to obey God. You cannot say, I'm walking in faith. I have a faith that's pleasing to God. I have a faith that justifies, but I'm not interested in obeying God. See, if you're not interested in obeying God, you have not turned away from sin. Too many people, hear this carefully, too many people have said this. Well, I'm concerned that there is a hell. I don't want to go there. So I will say these words. I'll make this profession. But it's just in case. And up until the time that I die and I find out whether there is or isn't a heaven or hell, if there is or God or not, I'll say this just to be on the safe side. But in the meantime, I'm going to go on with my way. And I'll only be interested in God if he's interested in my way, what I want, my plans, my purposes, what my dreams are. This is a growing tendency among those who supposedly make a profession. But again, it is not walking in faith. It is not the, the teaching of the apostles, what they said about one who has been born again. So there's no one who does good, not even one. Verse 5 in the Hebrew. Now we have a decision to make. The first word in this verse is the word halo. Now, the word lo means no. It's a negative. It negates. Now, the question is, the first letter of this word halo, is it a hey that is an interrogative, which means asking a question? And usually we would form that question as they do not, they have not. So they have not, as we'll see in a moment, they have not known. Now, I believe that this is not the proper understanding of this term, hello, in this, this verse. If you just go and look at this word, hello, how it's pointed, the vowels and such, it can be better understood not as the word lo in Hebrew with the interrogative hey, but rather as the word hello, which means surely. It speaks about something that is known, something that is understood. And it gives this whole verse a very, very different thought. Now, most translations will say this. They will say, they did not know, they have not known, who has not known? Workers of iniquity. These ones who do that which is wicked and such. But if you take the phrase hello as I would believe it should be understood, it means surely. It's speaking about something that is known. And what is known? Well, it says, surely they have known, who has known? Workers of iniquity. They know this. What David is saying is this. It's not that they are in ignorance, that they have a lack of knowledge. Surely the wicker, workers of iniquity, they know. But here again, they simply don't want to respond to it. This is a key 
foundational verse for giving us the right message, that primary theme of this, this passage, and that is rebelliousness. It is not knowledge that's going to solve their problem. They have enough knowledge. They know that God is. They know that God is holy and righteous, but they're not interested in serving that God. They know, and that's why it says, look again, surely they know these workers of iniquity. And what do they do? Well, they eat my people. And the implication is, as they eat bread. And it says, God, they do not call. Now, they know God is, but here's the problem. They do not call upon God. They do not reach out to them. And this is rebelliousness. Here's a problem. There is a theology. It's not been new. It's not new. It's been around for, for 500 years. And it's basically saying that everyone is in utter darkness, that, that when they read the word of God and God says in his word, do not steal, they go, I don't know what that means. When God says, don't bear false witness, I don't know what that means because I'm in darkness. I can't understand anything of this book. This is not what the scripture says. What we need to realize is this. Even before one becomes a new creation. Now, everyone who is lost in sin is dead spiritually. What does that mean? They have no relationship with God. God, he exists, but they don't have any connection with him. They are separated from him. And they are unable to do what's necessary to heal this relationship. God has to move, and he has. He's moved by sending his son into the world to die, to be that redemption for us. And the gospel has gone forth. This message has gone forth. God has provided the scripture. He's done many things so that we can know. The problem is God has revealed himself through creation, through his word, through the preaching of the gospel, through his truth, people are not in total ignorance. They are in total rebelliousness. And what we find here is that there are those who teach, well, until God causes that person to be regenerated, to be born again, then only after God zaps them with that, then they can call upon God. Before that, they couldn't. That is false. That is not a biblical view. God is upset with these individuals because they are behaving wickedly. They know that. They don't care. They eat people like they're eating bread. And it says, furthermore, about, the, about them, they do not call upon God. They don't reach out to him. As the book of Romans says, creation makes it clear. There is creator God, but they don't seek him. And it says there in that condition, that's the implication, there in that condition, they will fear a fear. Now, it's simply pachadu, pachad, 
which means they're going to be afraid with great fear, with great dread. That's their future state. And they're going to be afraid in this world when they have nothing to be fearful of, meaning this. There's no imminent present threat, but they're going to have a sense of spiritual paranoia. They're going to have anxiety and stress and such because they are in conflict. Why? This is what the scripture is teaching us. It's teaching us that they know that God exists. Surely they know. But because they reject that, they rebel against that, they are walking away around fearful. They have turned away from God. They know it. And they know that judgment's coming. So they're in a constant fear. They're expecting God's punishment, even when God is not going to punish them that day at that time when there is no punishment imminent for them in that condition. Now, notice what God does. We continue on, and it says, For God, now they see what God's able to do. For God, he has scattered the bones of those who camp against you. God has also shown himself faithful to his covenant people, that those who camp against the children of Israel, God scatters their bones abroad. He acts, and he says, you, meaning God's people, you have caused them to be ashamed. Now, this is speaking to this when someone, a child of God by faith, a disciple of Messiah, in other words, when we behave godly, righteously, doing his will, that is going to speak conviction. It is going to cause others who reject that, work against that, behave noticeably different, live in sin, for them to be ashamed. So he says, you have made them ashamed. Why? You are demonstrating faith in God, but they, notice what it says, but they, God, has literally, it says, for God has, has loathed them. So I want to get this right. For God has loathed them. Now this word for loathing, it's a word of disgust, a word of, of, of saying something, saying something about a incident, a happening, whatever, that it's repulsive. Now, this is the same word that appears in, in Psalm 118, where it speaks about the, the stone that, that God has laid, the chief cornerstone that, that the builders have rejected. Now, this word for rejection just doesn't mean I reject this, but I, I am disgusted. I, I loathe that. And what this scripture is saying, this is why they're ashamed, because God, notice what it says, for God has loathed them. Why? God loathes, God has disgust for those who reject him, who rebel against his word. Now, here again, there's a tendency to, to think that God's up there just weeping 
and distraught over wicked doers. We don't see that. What we see is this. What's precious to God, the scripture says, is the death of his Hasidim. That is, those who have received grace, those who are displaying God's grace in their life, when they die, God is, is grieved over that. That's what the scripture says. Precious in his eyes are the death of those people. But the ones who are willful, rebellious against God, God loathes them. God disgusts them. God is repulsed by them. That's what Ki Elohim Me Asam means. Last verse. We read here. For he will set or give from Zion salvation of Israel. Now, that's what most Bibles say, but the word for salvation is not Yeshua, but Yeshuot. What's the difference? It is in the plural. And the reason for it being in the plural is because it's speaking about abundant salvation. So God will give from Zion his salvation, the salvation of Israel. Here, Israel is referring not just to the Jewish people who are saved, but all kingdom people. Zion is a kingdom word. So out of Zion, from Zion is going to come the abundant salvation of God. And it says, when is this going to happen? Beshuv Elohim Shavut Amo. Now this is a very important clue. It says, Beshuv Elohim, when God returns, Shavut Amo, the captivity of his people. So God is going to do marvelous things, wonderful blessings. He is going to fulfill all of those kingdom promises. But it's telling us something. David's revealing this. And so do so many of the prophets. That this kingdom experience is going to happen until God restores, returns his people back to the land. And this is happening. Let me share with you something before we, we wrap up quickly, and that's this. Now, there are always exceptions, but so many people who, who teach prophecy, they'll talk about this sign and this sign. They'll, they'll speak about things that NASA has said. They'll talk about things in all types of different resources and such. But they so frequently ignore one of the most important and, and prevalent prophetic signs today. And that is the nation of Israel, and that is the Jewish people coming back to the land and settling there. God has said, I'm going to carry them back, and they're going to rebuild the ancient cities. And we find that much of the world is against this. There is much hatred towards God's purpose in restoring the people to the land. But it's a kingdom activity. It must happen for the kingdom to be established. So it says here, Who will place from Zion the salvation of Israel? Literally, he, or literally it's who, but it, it means God. And it says, he'll do this God when he restores the captivity of his people. And when, it says, Jacob will rejoice, and Israel, Israel 
will be glad. Now, notice Jacob and Israel. This is teaching us those two terms, what he means when he says the, the, the captivity of his people. He is going to restore Jacob and Israel, clear reference to the Jewish people. So be aware, if we're going to have a, a proper vantage point, knowing what to expect, knowing what to watch for, we biblically watch for God to restore his people back to the land. What people? Jacob, Israel. Never use the word Palestine. Not talking about giving it to someone else. Not talking about forsaking his covenant people. All of that is rooted in the plans of Satan. Satan doesn't want the people back in the land. You can understand frequently what is the desires of Satan by listening to what the European Union, what the, what the United Nations sees as good, desirable, or what they see as problematic. What they see as problematic is usually the will of God. And what they want to, to institute, put into force, is usually that which is contrary to the will of God. We need to be people that form our views, our, our desires, what we hold dear. We need to form those based upon the truth of Scripture and not what the media, that is satanic propaganda, wants you to believe. Well, I'll close with that until next week. Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Thank you.